Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today's guest is Soraya Alexander. Now, Soraya has climbed very quickly within Classy to become their SVP of marketing and customer growth. You may look and say like, who's gonna give someone a chance like this in a company that's already 200 people and let them jump from a VP of product marketing role to an SVP of marketing and customer growth. That's a lot to take on, but very quickly, as you start to hear from Soraya today, you'll understand why. She has this go get it attitude. She talks about jumping into opportunities and not letting anything get in your way. And she's done that throughout her career. Now, her career is, as she puts it, a little all over the place. A little bit of PR, a little bit of media, some time at a big organization like Dick Sporting Goods, but she's able to take little bits from those experiences and really channel them into an area that she's thriving. And that's given her these opportunities to climb. As I said, she's now overseeing not just marketing, but also customer growth. In the second half of the episode today, we dig into what does it take for a marketing leader to align with the rest of the organization and really embrace an understanding of how we expand our revenue. I think right now in these times, that's more important than we've ever seen with the challenges of getting yet new deals. Without further ado, my chat with Sarai. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Soraya, thank you so much for finding time to chat with us. I know these are crazy times and you have been on a rocket ship of a career since you jumped into the SaaS space. I think, you know, the the first question I have for you that I think a lot of people are wondering is, did you envision joining a company as a VP of product marketing and so quickly climbing up in, you know, two years to oversee the entire marketing org? (laughs) No, absolutely not. I I think I was just excited to find a company that felt like it hit so many points in terms of stage of growth, in terms of mission, in terms of culture. Um, and I was just excited to have a shot to kind of make my mark on it. I know that I'm I'm somebody who just works, you know, relentlessly and invests a lot of myself. And so I appreciated that they were willing to give me a shot. Um and I think that came through. And so they kept giving me more and more shots over more and more parts of the business. Um, and it's been a great journey. That's that's interesting. And you know, to give people some perspective, and we'll, we'll get back to modern day and some of the other things you've been able to take on in your time there. But your resume is not a traditional marketer okay. to the top uh, path. You know, some, some time in you know, PR, some time at you know, more media companies like Time Inc., sporting goods stores like Dick's, uh, you know, really great brands, but not necessarily something that transfers over to where you've, you know, accelerated, which is the SaaS space. How do do you think all those experiences have have shaped you as as a marketing leader today? Yeah, no, I think if I was to give anybody career advice and they look at my resume, I mean, I just look uh, completely insane with my journey. And I think along the way, it's just been really opportunistic more than anything else. It's been very little planning more looking at what do I think I'm interested in? Where are there opportunities? And where do I think I could jump in and just try to learn as much as I can? I got some advice really early in my career that said, 
you know, for 80% of your working days, your job is just to accumulate as many experiences as possible. And someday it will all make sense. And that's very been much in my career. You know, you look in, in the mirror and you're saying, oh, okay, you had this path and that got you to leadership pretty quickly. And it had nothing to do with that. It was every step of the journey. It said, okay, where can I, you know, what's like fun? What's interesting to me right now? Who are cool people I want to work with? I spend a lot of time thinking about interviewing managers and saying like, okay, I want to work for you. I think I can learn a lot from you. I think you'll invest in me. So let me try this. And, and you're right. I started, you know, on agency side, I, I jumped to media. I went to business school because I was, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, Just, you know, did a couple of tours in marketing, but it's been completely random. And I, I still don't think, you know, I know exactly what I want to do when I grow up. And that sounds so cheesy. You know, you hear like leaders say that and it just sounds like artificially, you know, self-doubting, but it's true. Like we're just kind of stumbling along and every step is, you know, the same kind of principles around, I'm just going to work my butt off and kind of do everything I can in whatever lane I'm swimming in at the moment. And somehow the next step materializes and kind of presents itself and you just keep going and stumbling forward. So I I, want to distinguish though, what you're describing, which I I really like versus sometimes, and I don't want to peg millennials or something like that, who who will listen to what you said and say, oh, well, I got to just keep jumping to a business (laughs) versus, you know, trying to figure out somewhere where I can excel and somewhere I can contribute. I mean, to clarify, Dick Sports as as an example, you were there almost five years. So how do you define that, that mindset around jumping to an opportunity versus jumping sporadically all over the place? Uh, I think it's a great point. For me, it was very much not about the jump. It was about what I'm doing in that role. For me, it was whatever role I'm in, I know that I can learn a ton. If I push myself, if I truly like own that function and soak in all I can, I will get something that will help me in the next role, even if that role is in a different industry, a totally different function. You know, I've gone from e-commerce and omni experience to marketing to strategy. Um, I've kind of jumped all over the principles around it's okay not to know things. It's not okay not to try and put your full effort behind them and you absorb as much as you can. And then when you start kind of plateauing in terms of that learning, you figure out what that next step is uh, and it doesn't have to be linear. So it wasn't sitting back and waiting for things to fall in my lap and you know just hopping around. It was more that investment, no matter what that thing was. Like I've had terrible jobs um, and I've had things I've really you know, been miserable at. Um, and I never let that diminish the effort of like, I'm still going to hold myself to a really high standard and, and just kind of, you know, grind and things have always come from that. And it's always benefited me. And, and so let's bring that more modern day or a classy where again, you joined as a VP of, of product marketing, a great opportunity, especially for someone who had not been inside and wanted to get in there. But, you know, I, I feel like what you've described is probably what's put you on the path to be part of the executive team there, to oversee all of marketing and even take other areas on. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? I mean, was it natural? Was it you asking for it or was it people asking you to take more on? Oh, it's a it's a good question. So I, um, when I started interviewing for the role, I should not admit this, but I actually had to basically look up what product marketing is, which I can't believe I'm saying to a bunch of SaaS marketers who are listening. That sounds crazy to take on this role. But we were a company who, so Classy builds fundraising software for nonprofits. We really saw this space as being completely underserved. You know, you've got all this amazing technology serving all these other enterprises and all these other industries. And the nonprofit space, which is doing some of the most critical work 
in the world was desperately underserved from a technology lens. Um, and so a lot of these basic, you know, donor conversion principles and, you know, design elegance, all of that was not brought to bear on this, in, on this sector. So I was really excited to find Classy, join them when they were, you know, we, we were about 200 people and really build out product marketing uh, in terms of, you know, product strategy and go-to-market vision and kind of monetization. One of my first interviews with the person who was my boss when I started, you know, she said, I, oh, I can, I can see it. You're just hungry. You know, I'm like, I don't care what you've done. You're somebody who's going to get in and will just be you know, relentless, you know, dog with a bone until you figure it out and you're going to own it and you're going to just work tirelessly and not just sit back and assume that, you know, your work, you know, your work for the day is done and you know enough about your function, you've made enough impact. Um, and I think that's really what's kind of done it that I, I'm hungry to learn. I never, I'm, you know, never assuming I'm the smartest person in the world or in the room. I certainly have something to learn from everybody, but I'm just going to grind. Um, and I think people see that and appreciate that because I'm in the fight with them, no matter what function they're in. Um, and so they keep giving me opportunity because they know I'll, I'll, I'll just be in the trenches tirelessly. So sorry, I think what you're hitting on there, that grind, I mean, that's something you can't teach. Uh, that's something that, you know, fortunately is in you and people will respect that. But it, you hit on, on this idea of jumping in and, you know, getting into this VP of product marketing and not knowing product marketing. What has been your source for educating yourself outside of the organization? You know, what are the ways that you learn and take on this new set of knowledge you need in each of these roles you've jumped into? I will say there's there's something about kind of just the SaaS ecosystem. People are incredibly supportive. You can reach out blind and just say, I want to talk shop. And I've never had anybody say no. People are really open with learnings, where they failed, what they're reading, um, and I've just really appreciated that kind of community. Um, and, and I found that as I've progressed, you know, different functions, um, you know, I, we are ourselves SaaS buyers, you know, and I'll call my account reps all the time and say, I want to talk to your head of this function, head of that function, and just kind of do a little mind meld, you know, information dump. Um, and people have always been really receptive. I have no pride about what I don't know. You know, I my, my resume is right there. I lead a bunch of functions. I have never been on the ground doing. And for me, it's about honest conversation, transparency, like best thoughts win. Um, good arguments are always better than just dictates. Um, and so I think that approach has led me both in terms of external, you know, friendly faces and internal teams uh, has allowed us to, to do a lot of really cool things that if I was insecure about the lack of kind of on the ground experience I've had, I think it would have prevented me from having a lot of that, that great insight um, and, and great learning and great success. That's great advice. And that, you know, it, it's definitely served you well in your career. And more recently, I, I want to continue to dig through your career, but maybe we'll take a break here on the podcast, hear from one of our sponsors. And then when we're back, I want to uncover this extra element that you've got to take on, which is customer growth understand what that means and how you're tackling that for the buyer side right here on The Marketer's Journey with Soraya Alexander. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. 
Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So Sarai's got the right attitude when it comes to owning what you don't know. A lot of the times in our career, we're thrown into opportunities and we're in over our head from the first day. But when we have the right mindset, the mindset that Sarai is talking about of admitting what you don't know, going outside of your organization and learning from others. In your organization, there are likely different associations. There's people you can call. There's sometimes Slack groups. These are all opportunities to bring other ideas into your organization. I'll be the first to admit some of the best ideas I've brought to my team weren't mine. They're ideas that I heard on a podcast. They're ideas I read in a book. It's different frameworks we're able to bring to the table that allows us to catch up on some of the gaps that we may have. It's impossible to assume that one person knows everything when they start a role. It's what you do and how you surround yourself that defines you. And I think Sarai is doing an amazing job making sure she fills in any gaps so that no one knows the difference. So Soraya, in the last year, you've taken on even more. In addition to becoming SVP of marketing as a whole, you've got this add-on of customer growth. What does that mean at Classy? Yeah, so um, I own all post-sales as well. So that covers our account management team, our renewals and expansion team, and our care team, along with our self-serve function. Uh, so that that kind of all sits in my, in my organization to, to all of the marketing teams. Okay. And, and for people listening in, they're probably not thinking, okay, Classy is this small little <laughs> team where your just has to do everything, but it's a 200 person organization. Yeah. So yeah. You know, the expectation for a marketing leader to take that on has to have a purpose, has to have a reason. Yeah. What was the decision behind that in your mind? And, and why do you think it belongs with a marketer? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So um, back to the you know, the journey only makes sense in hindsight. Uh, when I was at Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, the last role I had was overseeing all customer loyalty, engagement, and segmentation. And when you're a, you know, a huge company like that, customer acquisition is basically nothing. We have basically the entire U.S. population in our database who's shopped with us at some point. At that point, growth comes from really sophisticated analytics and segmentation and understanding how do you engage people based on what they're interested in you know price sensitivity depth of wallet you know what where the expansion kind of sits the timing of their purchases and so i approached kind of my my current role with that lens of there's so much rich information about our customers and i think it's pretty typical when saas you know when when saas companies are kind of first starting out they focus heavily on bookings and then at some point, they evolved to focus on, okay, what does customer growth look like? What does sales into the base look like? For us, we've got this beautiful business model where 
we're selling to nonprofits. We've got a subscription plus a transaction fee, you know, so a monthly fee plus a percent of every donation. So for us, you don't actually need additional order forms to grow in your base. You just have to get the client to do more and to bring over more volume. And suddenly you can drive this tremendous growth. And to your point, we're not a, we're not a small company anymore. And so the rate of growth we expect to see, you know, where you're starting out and you can drive that growth through new bookings, at some point, there's all of this opportunity post-sales to really grow with your customers in intentional ways. And I think my background as a marketer, understanding segmentation, understanding engagement applies perfectly to post-sales. You understand how you should be talking to these different cohorts and saying, how do you really find true success? How do we truly look at you know the different organizations that you're talking to, the different profiles you're talking to, the different kind of internal personas uh, and make sure they're you know, deepening their relationship with you. So for this, you know, first step of the journey, they they gave this to me really based on that kind of marketing, marketing history I had. So it's it's been really nice to be able to provide some of that perspective to teams that, you know, I think traditionally look at post-sales as really just about customer satisfaction and trying to tie that, you know, customer revenue growth to satisfaction in, in a really tight way. So recently I, I did a webinar that you, you'd really be interested in. It was with Laura Ramos over at, at Forrester. She talked a lot about customer marketing and customer engagement and the lack of budget being put towards that. Um, I think in many organizations uh, that she looked at, I can't remember the percentage, of, I may be misspeaking, but it was something like 50% are spending less than a quarter million dollars towards customer marketing from their marketing budget. When you took on this focus, was it putting more focus or was it putting more dollars from your marketing budget or was that expanded in some sort of way? How did the team view that or what was the expectation on you? Yeah, it's a great question. So these teams actually existed prior to kind of me driving them. Um, The difference was that there wasn't that kind of focus and elevation and understanding of the impact. And so I think for me, it was, I had a lot of conversations with my CEO when I first took over marketing and said, you know, I'm hoping that we're looking at the future this way. And Luckily, you know, I have the CEO who's this totally gets it, really invested in building long-term value, you know, durable company, still really ambitious growth rates that we're, we're expecting to see, but said, okay, I'm going to put you here, build out that case, and then the investment will follow. And so I think it was that kind of sequencing and saying, we get the vision, let's orient and kind of consolidate these teams. Then we build the case and now we're really putting the dollars behind it. And so I think having... You know, I, I've heard some of your other guests who talk about like, do you optimize for, you know, market fit or leadership team or whatever else? I think there can be, you know, tons of appetite, tons of room to grow if your leadership team isn't going to kind of come along the journey and understand how to evolve and understand where the company can really put muscle behind. Um, it's just going to be frustrating if you see the light. And so luckily I've got a, a you know, a, a CEO and a board who totally gets it. So vision came first. Money's coming now, which is which is really cool. That's great. And and with money and with emphasis comes you know scary expectation and a whole lot of failing, right? And we're we're very much on that journey. We will evolve this team fifteen times by the time I talk to you again, um, and we expect that and we know it. And you know as long as we keep failing forward, it, it, it's okay. We know we know it's happening. So other than your CEO, who would be two key members of your organization in partnering on this customer growth piece? If there's two people that you meet with on a regular basis or you're counting from an execution perspective, 
what would be the job titles of those individuals yeah. and, and did they exist before you started? Oh, good question. So I actually took on customer growth right as we brought one of our board members uh, into the company to, to serve as our COO. And it's been an amazing transformation because somebody who's kind of seen the pattern several times and has, you know, is the point of consolidation around, you know, where the finances sit and who the ops, you know, the ops team rolls up to and is able to actually clear barriers so much faster for us. You know, I think we were on the right track. I think it's accelerated with somebody who's just willing to charge hard and kind of seize seize the path. Um, so that's been really instrumental. And then I'm actually going to say three people. The other is my counterpart who runs off ops, having a good operations partner who can elevate some of these insights and have just, again, really intellectually honest debates and discussions around where opportunity is, has been instrumental. And then the third is I, I'm very, very close to my peer who oversees all sales, both from like a marketing to sales handoff and sales to post-sales handoff. I think the unique thing about you know the, the four of us who work together day in and day out is there's very little pride. You know, my my peer who oversees sales always talks about, you know, critical mind, not critical spirit. And that's very much the way we operate. We are not going to kind of try to stay in our own lanes or sugarcoat things if we see there's opportunity or, you know, another team's not stepping up. But it's from the confidence that we are all invested in this business um, in really kind of profound ways and and invested in our client success. And so we're, we have an obligation to each other to kind of push each other and push each other's teams. Um, and there's a lot of trust there. So I want to double click on one of those individuals. It's maybe the, the the one we least expect me to do, but the ops role. I find that one is an interesting one. And even in my own org, we're, we're trying to define what type of ops we need to kind of superset each of the different parts of the organization. So your ops person, is that someone sitting in marketing? Is that someone sitting in CS or CX? Or is it someone kind of, you know, crossing over those two different rules. Yeah, this is somebody, we have an entirely standalone ops function. We um, both roll up to the COO um, and he is my kind of right-hand person. We talk several times a day um, and under him, it's kind of all business systems, analytics, you know, customer, you know, customer analysis. And so we will together come up with, you know, if it's opportunity assessment, if it's segmentation, if it's better integrations, if it's better technology that can help, um, even down to like, you know, he, he runs our deal desk down to like promotion planning. We are together on all of it and just really hash through things. And the beautiful thing is you can very rarely pinpoint, you know, whose idea was it, whose responsibility was it to execute? You know, it's just hand in hand, like the whole way through. Um, and that kind of trust comes from, I think, a lot of just vulnerability and opening up and having, you know, it's it, there's so much opportunity if you're worried about your glory or, you know, getting credit for something, you're just going to be limited in what you can achieve. Um, and so we have very little of that. It's like, we just want to do awesome things with our job and with this company. Um, and so it doesn't, we're not caught up in any of the kind of politics that can sometimes happen across teams. It's, it's the right strategic mindset. I'm, I'm curious, just generally on, on the execution from a technology perspective, what systems are you using to surface that data across these different departments? Is this a, a CRM play? Is this a data visualization platform? Yeah, we use a whole suite of things and then a lot of people <laughs> right now, which is like a terrible thing to admit. So, you know, we've got Salesforce and Looker and HubSpot and um, Pendo. We've got kind of all all sorts of tools, Gainsight. I th and we've got, you know, more that we're, we're looking at. Um, 
But then it's a lot of people who are just kind of going down these little rabbit holes and trying to say like, I've got a hunch here. Let me just dig. Um, and luckily we've got people who don't lead with a hypothesis. They really let the data take them where it will go. And they sit across the organization. You know, people in my self-serve team, my post-sales team, my marketing team, people all up and down ops. We really don't pretend to know what we don't know, um, which is which is great. You know, in some ways, I've seen data used too often as a weapon. You know, I got this data point. We have to totally reorient our strategy. You know, I, I found something and I can give you all of the feedback behind it. We we're pretty careful not to let that happen, which has allowed us, I think, to make better decisions. And instead of, you know, I, I've heard a risk of data paralyzing you and it's like, well, you can swim fast. And if you're swimming in the wrong direction, I'd rather have it slow you down a little bit. It's a big effort and it's totally imperfect. You know, it's, it's, it's messy. I think data everywhere is just messy. It's a great, it's a great, uh, great, honest opinion there. Uh, <laughs> So uh, this has been fantastic. We're going to take a short break here. We'll get to know a little bit more about you and how you're managing as you take more and more on on our last segment right after a short break. So I want to go a little bit deeper on the importance of customer marketing. And Soraya's got this nailed down. She's actually embraced it as part of her job title. And more and more, we're seeing companies dig into this. I mentioned in the chat that I had a great webinar where Laura Ramos over at Forrester gave some great insights. And just to share some of those, I went back to some of those details. Now, it's crazy to see that very few companies, about 12% actually say that they have an optimized customer marketing practice. Right? Many companies are just developing. In fact, over 50% are just trying to put their eye towards customer marketing. And this makes sense. I mean, we've all seen the stats out there and there's data from Forrester to back this up as well, that it takes three times more dollars to acquire a new customer than retain an existing one. And when we retain them and we embrace them like Soraya's outlining, we're able to expand the revenue with that, that customer base. As she said, sometimes you grow your business so big, it's hard to get those net new acquisition opportunities, but we can nurture the customers we have. We can turn them into our biggest advocates at the same time and get referrals from them. This focus on customer marketing is one that has been extremely important through the pandemic and is only gonna to continue to become more mainstream. I think customer marketing is a great opportunity for any marketer to focus on to really accelerate their career. All right, Sarai, so we've unpacked your career and the pat and the, the various turns it's taken. We've talked about taking more and more on, and you have this mentality to just jump into things. How do you jump out? How do you find time for yourself, for your family, for the things that are important to you outside of work? Yeah, that's a great question. It gets harder and harder um, as I as I've progressed. I mean, I think you know. When I was younger in my career, I had this hope that when you get to management, you get to delegate all of this stuff. And it's it's not true. The complicated, hairy, stressful stuff actually tends to move up the chain, you know, unless otherwise people would have dealt with those problems. So it's harder and harder to disconnect, especially at home. Um, I've got two little kids now, and I've just recognized for myself when I start not performing at my best, um, and it happens Either when I don't get time with my kids, I start getting really salty and um, resentful. Uh, and when I don't have consistent ways to exercise and I, I don't need like a lot, but I, I need 
you know, my little like hamster wheel for about 20 minutes a day, my little like Peloton has to happen. Um, otherwise I just don't perform. And so I think recognizing for myself, I'm okay to work a lot. I actually enjoy it. I enjoy diving with both feet in, but I cut myself off at, you know, 5.30 for a couple of hours so I can hang out with my kids and then sign back online. I sign on, you know, a half hour later than everybody else so I can get my workout in. And it took a while. You feel guilty. You feel guilty when you're not working where everybody else is. And the question is, are you able to show up well? So I've put those kind of two rules um, and I still work a ton. I mean, I, I'll, I think I'm with everybody else, you know, with all of your listeners that the, the line's getting hard to, to draw. Um, working at home, it feels like you can just, it's just one big work day. But knowing those two things about myself has helped me to know where to set the rules. There's words you had in there that I love. It's it's show up well, right? Yeah. And, I, and I think that's that's the part we all have to put focus to is making sure, as you put it, that that you've got the time, the things that that make sure you're in the right mood. You know, yes. you know, amazing that time with our kids can put us in the right mood. Yes. Or working out on Peloton. I'm a Peloton fan too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, great advice. Show up well, and you're definitely finding a way to do that because the opportunities being given to you are only ones given when you do so. So, Soraya, thank you so much for sharing. For everyone who's gone to listen in to Soraya's story, it's it's one of many marketers, and she hit on it. Everyone's got a different path. Uh, every one of our guests and check them all out. We're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, tune in and listen. And eventually I hope that you'll share your story here on this podcast. Thanks so much again to Soraya. Until next time, thank you to everyone for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.